um, do me a favor and just like giggle or something. Just <laughs> something. I don't know. That's like we're talking about heaven, and I feel like it's we're like oh, heaven. It's a wonderful place. Okay. So, anyways, um, sorry. I've been. I've had a week to sit in this stuff and think about it and chew on it. So. You'll have to excuse me if I'm a little more excited than that, the temperature in the room um, at some points. Um, when you think of heaven, and the reason we're starting this series is because I think it's desperately needed. I think Shannon and I both sat and go, there's a lot of hopelessness in the world right now. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety going on at this moment, and it's heavy in the lives of Christ followers. Um, I remember hearing a story of a theologian who who was um, basically going through a very severe time of depression in his life, and his wife decided to go along and feed this depression. And she basically, when he was asleep one morning, covered everything in black. She just put, she put drapes over the windows and covered it in black, covered their house in black, covered everything in black. And he comes downstairs from, um, from his sleep the next morning, and he comes into the living room, and he looks around, and, and he goes, what in the world is going on? And his wife says, well, um, didn't you hear the news? God's dead. And he was like, no, he's not. And she said, stop acting like it. That was it. And, I, and it changed everything for him. And so there are times when I look at this and this topic of my hope, you know, this hope of heaven, does it bring hope or does it cause you to go, oh, I'm scared. I don't know what it includes. I'm fearful because I don't know everything about the place that I'm going. What, what stirs up in you when it comes to the idea of heaven? Um, it's interesting because Nietzsche said, in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. That goes with the very simple thought of, and, and I hear people say it, and you can say it one way or another, but they're like, well, my friends aren't probably going to be in heaven, but I, I want to be where my friends are, so it doesn't really matter if I'm not in heaven. That's a concept that you walk around and hear, and I think some of us in the church may be holding to. We just won't say it out loud. How about um, this? Uh, Sarah Addison Allen, author of The Sugar Queen, says, I think heaven will be like a first kiss. So you're saying it's going to be awkward and slobbery and way too long? Is that what you're saying? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just my opinion of the first kiss description. George R.R. R. Martin, I don't know why he gets two middle initials, but he said... They can keep their heaven. When I die, I'd sooner go to Middle Earth. For those of you who are Lord of the Rings fans, I get it. I want to go to Rivendale. Just as bad as the next guy, okay? I understand what Rivendale means and what it looks like, and I want to be there with the elves because they make me feel safe, okay? I understand it. Um, do you think only of the things that you think you will miss when you think of heaven? It is amazing how many people have made declaratory statements of, well, if there ain't puppies in heaven, I'm not going. If there ain't a good ale in heaven, I ain't going. uh, Martin Luther actually said, "If, if there's no laughter in heaven, I'm not going. It's coming from a dude who, I mean, seriously knew the, the depths and the heights of these grand thoughts of who God is and what he's done and His statement was, if there's no laughter in heaven, I'm not going. It's amazing these statements we'll make of the things we think we'll miss here on earth. If it's not there, I'm not going. I just want to consider the alternative, though, just for a second. Um, um, When you, for me, also on Facebook, it's funny how often I see people post pictures, and the tag is, I'm in heaven. 
For some of you, that's the knitting thing going on at the Ag Center. I'm in heaven! Look at all this hand-spun wool! This is amazing! Right? 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 Oh, I'm pointing at you, right? A lot of times when I see people talk about being in heaven, it has a lot to do with food. Really? Like, I'm at a restaurant. I'm in heaven! You go to the Brazilian steakhouse. I'm in heaven! Knitter's heaven. Comic book nerd's heaven. I, I've been to several of those places. You can go to, for me, with video, video stuff. I love camera stores. I love any of those things. And I could just stay, spend hours in there. And I'm like, I'm in heaven! Why do we use that term? Because we don't, ha- we don't know how, to, how else to describe the best things we've experienced. And we're like, man, these are the best things. But you see people use those phrases pretty regularly. Um, America has plenty of thoughts on heaven. It's a ridiculous thought held by people who have no grip on reality. It's a figment of your imagination. It's a great place with all your friends and family. It's everything you want it to be. It's a state of mind. It exists. It doesn't exist. And the ever-popular, totally tolerant viewpoint, keep it to yourself and mind your own business. It's interesting all the different thoughts that exist when you say the word heaven. Among Christ followers, for those of you in this room who are believers, when was the last time you set your sights on the reality of heaven? If you're honest with yourself, it wasn't yesterday or the day before, or the week before. It's been a long time. And typically the reason we haven't set our mind or our heart on heaven is because we're afraid. It's unknown. We don't understand it. We don't get it fully. So we'd rather just go, I'll find out when I get there. Well, I hope that as we journey through this series on heaven that you will begin to go, wow, I long for it. God is good And I want to know as much as I can about it here before we experience eternity with him. Um, Typically among Christ followers, because whether it's cynicism, aggressive, altering views, which there are a lot, our own fears, doubts, warped views on heaven, a lack of care for the subject, that might be it. That just might be it. Or maybe you just don't want to sound like a crazy person. I think that may be part of it. Part of the reason we don't talk about heaven is because we don't want it to be seen as crazy. We want people to think that the Christian life is super normal when in fact it is supernatural. Yes, Jesus came to save us for the normal, but the result is anything but. So there are some things and some attitudes and some narratives that we have to kind of begin to unpack to begin to understand the depth and the joy and the hope that is found in heaven. Um like we were talking about, well, let's just address some of the questions that people have about heaven, and we'll get to those things. We'll talk about what it's like and what we can see from the scriptures. We aren't going to be using the book Heaven is for Real. We're not going to be using any of these books that exist on the Christian bestseller list. We're actually going to go to the one who's the author of the Word of Life, and that is in the scripture. And I really do believe, Christians, if we're going to books and YouTubes to find out about heaven and we're not looking at what God says about it, we have a deeper problem than just going to the YouTubes and fiction book accounts that just happen to be labeled nonfiction. And so as the church, we have to be able to rise up and go, okay, what does God say about it? And is God good? 
Is it true? So that's where we're going to head in the next couple of weeks. But the very first argument I'd love to present to you is that thoughts on heaven, us thinking about heaven, matters. It matters deeply. And for those of you in this room who would call yourself believers, ones who would say, I have rejected the idea that I can work my way to God, and I have grabbed a hold of the grace that has been poured out to me through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and that is all of his grace, I would consider myself a believer. You are invited, not just invited, which I believe is the first reason heaven matters, you are commanded to set your sights on the realities of heaven. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul actually says it this way. Since you have been... Now, notice that word since, okay? Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I have to hit on that word since, because in the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul has set us a picture of Christ that is anything but a good teacher. He says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created by him and for him. He existed before all things were created, and he holds all creation together. He does not give us a choice to go, Jesus is just a good teacher. He painted a picture of Christ that was more supreme than anything we could imagine, think of, even label Jesus. So he has spent the first two chapters unpacking the grandness of Christ. And then he opens with chapter 3 and says, Since you have been raised to new life. If Christ is all these things, and he did live, die, and raise again, then you also have been raised to new life through your faith in Christ. Here is the command because of who you are. You see, in the Christian walk, it's never, here's the command, then you might become these things. The Christian walk is one that understands that it is a response to everything we've been given, not I do so that I can get. Paul has said, you have been raised to new life, and in this new life, you will set your sights on the realities of heaven. That's huge. When was the last time you understood the biblical command to set your sights on the realities of heaven? When was the last time I thought about thinking of setting my sights on the realities of heaven? But Paul lays that out for us very clearly. He doesn't say, not if you, have to- if you have time, think about heaven. He doesn't say, if you get around to it, think about heaven. He doesn't say, once you think you need to and things have gotten so bad, then set your sights on the realities of heaven. He says it, since you have been raised to new life, for those of you in this room who have placed your trust and your faith in Christ, the finished work of what he's done, have experienced the grace of God, have been raised to new life, you will set your sights on the realities of heaven. But then he does something really interesting. He repeats himself. If you can throw that verse back up on the screen. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He says it twice, back to back. He doesn't just jump to another statement. Now, Bill Cosby is right. And just just any of his books, comedy, whatever, watch. When you have children, there's something you do over and over and over and over and over and over. You repeat yourself. You sound like a crazy person. You really do. Malachi, my three-year-old who's about to turn four, he's brilliant, but he doesn't listen. Doesn't listen at all. 
Like, I can look at him, and I'm putting him down for his nap. I set him on his bed, and I say, Kai, don't get out of bed, okay? I walk out of the room. One second, I'm not sure how quickly he can get out of his bed, but one second after I say, do not get out of your bed, he's out of his bed. Hey, Dad, I'm here. I said, what did I tell you to do? I don't know. I'm out of the room, but that's awesome. No, so I pick him up, set him down on the bed, lay him down, and I will say, Kai, do not get out of your bed, okay? If you get out of your bed, you will lose sweets first. Second, you will have to stay in here when it is time to be awake, okay? I'm leaving now. Get out of the room. One second. I kid you not. I don't know how he does it. He springs up out. He's, hey, Dad, I'm out of my bed. And it's, it's like he's so cute. You hate that he's rebellious. You're like, stop it with the cuteness and the hair and the smilings and all the things. Next time, put him on the bed. I say, Kai, do not get out. And this time he'll interrupt me and be like, Dad, watch what I can do. I'm like, Kai, I didn't ask what you could do. I want you to stay in your bed. But I've learned with Kai that I actually have to make him repeat back to me what I just told him for him to finally get it. So I look at Kai and I say, Kai, stay in your bed. What did I just say to you, Kai? Uh, Daddy, look, I can do this with my arm. Whoop, and I kick the TVs over. And, but like, look at me, Daddy, and I can do these things. And, no, what did I say? Don't get out of your bed. What did I just say to you, Kai? You said, don't get out of my bed. And I said, well, good. What will happen if you get out of your bed? You will not get sweets, and then you will have to stay in here when nap time is over. You will not get sweets, and I'll have to stay in here until... When? I'll have to stay in here until nap time is over. I tell him this. I walk out. And you know what happens, right? He comes out! And then I go crazy, because I'm like, I just told you, and you told me, and what did I just tell you not to do? You told me not to get out of my bed. I don't understand children, but I know that Mr. Cosby was absolutely 100% correct. What did I tell you not to do? You told me not to drink your drink. What did you do? You drank your drink. But why do we repeat ourselves? It's because there's important information we want someone to understand. I don't want Kai to lose sweets. I don't want him to have to stay in his room. So I try and give him the warnings. I know some of you are like the hardcore parents who are like, I demand obedience after the first try. Well, how do you do in your relationship with the Lord? Just let me ask you that question, first of all. Second of all, I try and extend grace to my kids. I really do. I try and go, you know, I'm not the dad who's like, first try and squash all rebellion. I can't do that. (laughs) I'm not that dad. Because I really do want my son to get sweets. He enjoys them. And he thinks dad's the best. (laughs) I really do want him to be downstairs in the living room with us. I don't want him to be in his room. But I tell him over and over because we are people who forget. And Kai is that kid in my, my, my life right at this point. So why do we repeat? Because our natural tendency is to forget. Is it not? Our natural tendency is to forget everything that we may have heard or read, in our, whether it be our time with the Lord or on a Sunday morning or whatever it is, or in our small group, wherever it is, we forget. We are forgetful people. And so we see this when you look at Scripture. And this is a good Scripture reading technique. When you see things repeated, pay attention. Because nine times out of ten, when it's repeated, it's repeated because we need to hear it. We need to hear it because thinking on heaven is constantly under attack in our lives, is it not? We need to hear it because it's not the automatic thing for us. Where do you naturally set your sights? Here, right? Not on heaven. 
This also implies that there is a resistance in my flesh that will set its sight somewhere else. So when Paul repeats something, he's dealing with us at the core of who we are. You know, isn't it true when we give commands that we understand that when I'm, when I'm telling Kai, don't get out of bed, I'm assuming there's going to be resistance to that. I've learned over many, many years of trying to tell my children to do something, I've learned that the reason I have to say that is because there's going to be pushback. And it's the same with us in this command to set our sights on the realities of heaven. In the scripture, we're told nonstop, all the time, avoid sexual immorality. That's any type of sex outside of the marriage bed that God intended between a man and a woman. That is what we see and we understand in scripture. But the reason we are told to flee from it, to run from it, to avoid it, to, to, to see ourselves away from it is because our natural tendency is to do the opposite. It just is. The flesh goes after what it wants and the Spirit's trying to help us see the greatness of who Christ is and our natural tendency is to not do what the Scripture says. See, in the Scriptures, I'm not warned over and over to not punch a shark, okay? The reason that is because I'm not tempted to punch a shark, all right? Maybe some of you are. Maybe you need the command in Scripture, don't punch a shark. I'm not commanded. I don't need that in my life because I'm not tempted to punch a shark, But when I see the scripture over and over say, flee sexual immorality, I understand why it says that. And if you're honest with yourself, you know why it says that too. Because our natural tendency is to do the opposite. See, for the Christ follower, we can note about the commands in scripture. That when we see them, chances are we're opposed to them if given the chance to go the other direction. Paul makes it very clear and he repeats himself twice. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. But I also believe that there's a strategy of repetition in the scripture because we have a very real enemy who desires to slander the home of our God. I believe that part of what the enemy does is he lies to us about what eternity with God will be like. And I believe we listen to him. When I look at the scripture, I see the role of the devil, a very real enemy. And his desire is to slander God, God's people, and God's home. That's what he wants to do. In John chapter 8, we see what Jesus says about the devil. He says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Now, here's the thing. Just so you know, Jesus is talking to the religious folks of the day. He's not talking to those sinners out in public. He's actually talking to those who would see themselves as religious And so when Jesus opens a statement and says, Hey, yo, Pharisees, your mom slept with the devil. There's a problem. You can see why the Pharisees were like, let's kill him. But he opens it with really intense words and says, And you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we know the devil is a liar. So what God calls good, Satan will attempt to convince otherwise. In Revelation chapter 13, and you can read it for yourself, it says that the enemy will slander God and will slander God's dwelling place. So when he is, is coming at you and your thoughts begin to go, man, God, heaven's not going to be that good. You think God painted that picture? When God says it will be? 
we need to know that we have an enemy who is a liar. And sometimes I think we downplay his role in our thoughts on what heaven is. And you see, the devil doesn't even have to convince me that heaven doesn't exist. He just has to make it sound really, really boring. There'll be no joy, no hope for it, no excitement. So why would I talk about it? Why would I consider it? Why would I set my sights there if I'm convinced that it's going to be a long, eternal worship service in a pew in the sky? Parents, don't tell your children that, please. Randy Alcorn said it this way, and you can see it on the screen. He says, Satan cannot stop Christ's redemptive work, but he can keep us from seeing the breadth and depth of redemption that extends to the earth and beyond. Satan can't stop Christ's redemptive work. He can't. But he can make us question how deep that redemptive work goes. Have you sat in that for just a second to think that part of the reason you may have a warped view on heaven is because you've allowed the enemy to slander God's dwelling place in your heart? Because it's what he does. And the second reason I'm convinced that heaven conversation matters is really based on N.T. Wright's uh, phrasing. He says ultimately that our Our view on life after death directly affects our life before death. Our view on life after death directly affects our life before death. And what he's doing is he's echoing Colossians chapter 1. Paul is opening this letter to this church. And this is what he says in in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from, notice where this comes from, which comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you, where? In heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. So somewhere we've lost this completely connected, eternal life with Christ, and we've said, well, we won't talk about heaven. We'll just talk about the now. When yet somewhere, I don't understand why, because it looks to me like it was directly connected to the doctrine of rescue, of being saved, of knowing Christ, was an eternity with God. That's his plan. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Florence Chadwick. You can throw that picture up here. She was a swimmer. And in 1952, she attempted to swim 26 miles between Catalina Island and the California coastline. And as she began, she was, there were boats around her. Her mom was in a boat, and they were making sure that no sharks could get to her, all this different stuff. And as she was swimming, she got into about 15 hours of her swim. Okay, good gravy on that. But at 15 hours, a thick fog set in. And I imagine it probably looks something like this. Um, And as she's swimming, this thick fog sets in. And she looks at her mom in the boat and says, I don't think I can do this. I can't make it. I think I've got to stop. And the story goes on that she swam for an hour longer and then said, you got to pull me out. I'm dying. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to drown. And when they pulled her out of the water and put her in the boat, she was less than one mile from making it to the shoreline. 
26 miles. And when she was interviewed afterwards, she said, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. It's an amazing picture. It actually says that she attempted it again two months later. The same thick fog set in. But in her mind, she had put a picture of the shoreline that she was not going to let go of. And she was able to complete it. I think she actually did it two more times. Not in the same time. That would be crazy. (laughs) That would just be stupid. Why would you do that? But in the same way, her mental image of the shoreline literally helped her to just keep swimming, if you will, if you'll allow me that, Greg Penniston. Our hope of heaven moves us to be a grateful people here on earth. You see, Colossians, in his letter, he says, look, I'm not aware of your building programs. I'm not aware of your outreach ministry. I'm aware of your faith in Christ and your love for all of his people. How would we love that to be what people write home to us about? Man, I keep hearing of this swelling of your faith in Christ and this swelling of your love for people, and it's, it's anchored in your hope of heaven. What if that was the letter we received? Heaven matters because it affects how we live, how we trust, how we love. And ultimately, C.S. Lewis says it this way, and he says everything better than anyone could, so might as well use him, you know what I'm saying? He was talking about people that are so heavenly minded that they're no good here on earth. And he was trying to combat the argument of those who were like, I got my golden ticket to heaven punched. I'm going to sit here and wait for Jesus to return. I don't care about nobody else. I'm good. C.S. Lewis is addressing this, and he says, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. And in between this and the next statement, he actually talks about the apostles and taking the gospel to the known world. And then he, he talks about, in Europe, the evangelicals who fought against slavery and all these different things, these men who were set on heaven. He says, all left their mark here on earth precisely because their minds were preoccupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth. Throw in, get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Look at Colossians 1, 4 again. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Now, as we're going to close, the, the band can come and we're going to spend time in worship. I'm convinced, and this is just looking at Scripture, heaven matters, eternity matters. How we view God's promises matter in this life. Do we trust Him for salvation? Can we trust Him for eternity? Both of those questions are answered in the cross. And I was kind of going, heaven matters. Why does heaven matter? This, I mean, I see it in Scripture, and I see we forget it, and it affects how we live. But ultimately, Romans 8 is one of my wife's favorite chapters, and it should be one of all of our favorite chapters because of the assurance it continues to reassure us with. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, I really see why heaven matters. 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You want to know why I believe heaven matters? It's because he gave his son. I'm absolutely convinced that heaven matters because if God was willing to give us the most difficult thing in the life of his son so that sinful, wicked enemies of God could become friends of God so that we might experience eternal fellowship with God, I can tell you heaven matters. Our thoughts on heaven matters because he gave his son so that he could fill a place with people who were prepared Spend life with him. Heaven matters because God gave his son. If he gave his son, the harder of the two things to do here in this description, it means that him giving us everything else is the easier. When our faith in Christ is present and is planted, man, the everything else is the easier. That's coming. That's where our assurance rests, that God gave his son so we can trust him for eternity, that heaven matters. And it matters for us, and it matters as a conversation with people who are scared to death today. So this this morning, I don't know if you're... If you're one who's like, I don't deserve heaven, or I'm too far off from heaven, I can't work hard enough for heaven, I can't do it, I'm a terrible, you don't know my past, good, you're in good company, because none of us deserve it. But I can tell you it matters to God, because he gave his son. And so that by belief and faith in Christ's finished work, that eternal fellowship, relationship with God, that we long for, but we try and do on our own, he made possible through himself. And so this morning as we worship, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know what you've walked in and what your heaven thoughts have been. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to repent as a Christ follower in this room for not setting your sights on heaven, not thinking about heaven and not the things of this earth. Maybe you have been so consumed with the things of this earth that you've forgotten how good God is. So when we worship, it's a time to just go, God, please search me and know me. Forgive me. Thank you that Jesus is the reminder that heaven is going to be everything you say it will be. That's where we anchor down. So this morning, um, this place is a place for you to be able to pray. Uh, Maybe you need somebody to pray with. I know there's some, some elders in this room. There's some gel leaders. I don't know if you guys want to make yourself available, but... Um, respond how the Lord is calling you to respond. Don't, don't push it off. Life is too short to ignore when God is doing something in your heart. Don't ignore him. Just obey. It's the greatest place to live. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you that it affects everything. It does not just affect our eternity, but it affects our now. Because we are... We are not people who move in fear, but we're people who move in hope because of what Christ has done. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name.